Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is the Real Estate Podcast, the intersection between the latest trends in real estate and its impact on our everyday lives. We're your hosts, Alex Norman. And Jamie Blonde, and you've come to the right location. The real estate starts now. In today's episode, Virtual Health, Modern Access to Affordable Healthcare, we explore the intersection between online healthcare platforms and their ability to level the location playing field, providing more quality healthcare to more people in more locations at a reasonable price. Today's guest is Marcia Duprat, Strategic Partnerships Manager for Dr. B, a telehealth platform providing virtual treatment for a range of common conditions, from COVID-19 to sexual health to dermatology. At Dr. B, an online consultation with a medical provider is only $15, and they are the first telehealth company to offer a no-cost option for patients who qualify based on financial need. Marcia, welcome to the show. Welcome to the show, Marcia. Thank you for having me. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Marcia. So I'm originally from Venezuela. I was born and raised there. And then I went to college in New York City. I moved to New York to go to art school, lived in New York, worked as a photographer. And then I moved to Miami seven years ago. When I moved to Miami, I did a bit of a career change and I started getting very involved in policy and advocacy, mostly around public transportation, urban planning and affordable housing. So I worked in that field for a bit and now I'm working in a, in a very similar vein in healthcare. So healthcare, but focused mostly on affordability and equity and just improving access through and through. Wow, that's an amazing career and amazing journey. You know, when we talk about virtual health, we're referring to the growing trend of telemedicine. You know, some of the first uses of telemedicine started in the early 1900s on the battlefield where medical support was needed in remote locations during warfare via two-way radio. However, a little known fact about the wide adoption of telemedicine in the U.S. was in the 1960s when NASA Yes, NASA, uh, Lockheed Corporation, and the Indian Health Service launched a wide-scale tele telemedicine project. It was called the Space Technology Applied to Rural Papago Advanced Healthcare Project, or Star Papapak. <laughs> what's the pronunciation on that? <laughs> exactly. Uh, this initiative was created to provide easier access. To Native American reservations, leveraging the same telecommunications technologies initially intended for NASA astronauts. So uh, at that time, the you know, satellite communications greatly expanded telemedicine opportunities and facilitated healthcare delivery in rural areas. So the approach of telemedicine today um, has been working on has been worked on in the United States for over six decades. And today we use technology like computers, smartphones to connect with a healthcare professional, sometimes from the comfort of our own home, um, and, and it's just more of like a convenient than a requirement for some living in rural areas, not close, uh, not in close proximity of, uh, of medical treatment. So for this reason, Marcia, it's very exciting for us to get a chance to talk to you today because, you know, we can, can, can you tell us a little bit about the company that you work for, Dr. B, and how um, the, the company uh, and the founders got started solving these problems? Yeah, so Dr. B actually got started during the pandemic, and the first iteration of it was a vaccine distribution waitlist. So back when the vaccines were rolling out um, and there weren't enough vaccines to go around, but also there were a lot of cases where people were not showing up for appointments, people could sign up to Dr. B, and then at the end of the day, based on location, it'd be like, hey, we have X, you know, 20 vaccine spots available near you. Can you make it here right now? And then they, they would show up. So that was... 
first iteration of Dr. B. Once those vaccines became readily available, we transitioned into telehealth. So it was like, what can we solve? Um, and, and at that time, it was mostly around COVID virals. Like, how we solve the problem of someone getting COVID, needing a medication, needing a medication in five days, being contagious, not wanting them at a doctor's office. So, so that's essentially like how we started. Now we've expanded. We're um, we have over 30 treatments on our site and it's this asynchronous model where you can go through a chat interface and, and do a medical consultation from the comfort of your home. Well, it's interesting. According to the JAMA Network Open Report, telemedicine appointments before COVID were less than 1% of outpatient visits. And in 2020, that number jumped to 24%. And Mark Harrison, President and CEO of Intermountain Healthcare, wrote in the Harvard Business Review that greater telehealth usage will help the healthcare industry meet people where they are as much as possible when delivering care. So I'm curious, obviously telehealth exploded during COVID. I myself had some telehealth uh, appointments with my doctors where I didn't have to go to the doctor's office and he didn't have to leave his office to come and, and, and be in touch with me personally. Did that explosion, was, was the system able to handle that explosion? And it must have been uh, uh, enormous out of from nothing to to all of a sudden, wow, everybody wants this. How, how do you handle that kind of growth as a company? I mean, we launched through it, so I guess we grew with it. Um, <laughs> So no, yes, our system, we, we have like quite a nimble system. So we do, we're able to handle spikes quite easily. You know, you mentioned, Jamie, the, the, the growth of telemedicine over COVID versus or post-COVID versus pre-COVID. Uh, but, you know, as I mentioned earlier, like, you know, telemedicine has been around in different in a different way for for a long time for obviously for different use cases. And I think that, you know, when we, when perhaps before COVID, when we thought about telemedicine, we're thinking about teleoperations. Uh, we had a, earlier in our our shows, uh, we had a um, radiology. So there's certain there's certain um, medical practices and procedures that can be done very easily via telecommunications pre COVID. Post COVID, now we've got things like mental health. Uh, we've got um, you know access to 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 psychiatrists and, and psychologists that can treat issues quite easily in a virtual environment. How what types of treatments have you found, uh, Marcia, that that are um, better suited for telemedicine um, versus not uh, in your company and 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 clearly post COVID. I mean, I think that's really going to depend on the telemedicine modality, and there are different types of modalities even within that field. So, for example, something that you were mentioning, mental health, you definitely need a synchronous consultation with that. You need to be able to speak to, to a provider one-on-one. -on -one. Um, in our case... We're an asynchronous platform, which means that you're not on the phone and you're not on video chat with a provider. You're going through a chat-based interface that then gets routed to a provider who views it um, separately from that. So, so the treatments that we focus on right now, there's a lot of acute conditions, uh, whether that is respiratory illnesses like COVID or flu in the female acute space, things like a UTI infection, a yeast infection. We have a range of dermatological conditions from eczema to rosacea. Um, we actually have quite a few de dermatology treatments. We just launched hypertension um, and we launched high cholesterol. So we're going into more in-depth kind of primary care treatments. And then we have a lot of sexual and reproductory health 
treatments. So whether that's birth control or your erectile dysfunction kind of medications, things for STI such as herpes. So we, we're, we have a big range right now and we continue to grow. Well, it's interesting. Access is important. We had an episode just prior to this one discussing how difficult it is when you move into a new location to replicate your medical support system, a new doctor, a new dentist, a gynecologist, a urologist, and it's almost all word of mouth. There's not a lot of real ratings agencies. There's nobody in between who's who's filtering out good versus bad. It seems like you you are a great go-between there. You're taking the patient and you're connecting them to good healthcare solutions. How do you recruit and find and determine these doctors that are on the other side of the chat? So actually, just, you know, with COVID, um, we, we get a fair amount of inbound doctors. Just the fact that they're also able to work remote, um, everyone from patients to the medical provider wants that type of flexibility. So that's mostly how we find our, our medical providers. Yeah, we need that support, right? I think I, I you know, talking to folks, some would argue that the biggest enemy of medicine uh, is Google, right? Because, you know, I have a problem, I have an issue, you go to Google, then apparently whatever Google tells you um, is how you solve it and how you fix it. But there's no um, there's no way of knowing that what you're reading necessarily is the right solution for your issue or not. So, yeah, Or if it's accurate, right? I mean, it's, right. you don't know what's even accurate. Fake news. And so it, it's we need a credible resource to access with information and individuals that can give you the best best results. So is there is your platform obviously clearly I mean you're in business so it has to be um one of the best. Like how do how do how does a customer um rate you know your platform versus the others? How, what's the deciding factor on why I go with Dr. B versus somebody else? It's going to be affordability and convenience. So affordability, we charge $15 per consultation, which is less than 99% of copays. So already we are probably the most affordable solution out there for a patient seeking care. But then on top of that, for those people who cannot afford $15, we have a no cost option for them. So essentially, virtually anyone who comes into our platform can get access to care, regardless of their ability to pay. That's going to be reason number one, why people are choosing us. I think reason number two is going to be convenience. Um, you don't need to make an appointment because again, we're an asynchronous telehealth platform. So you can go in and launch straight into a chat-based consultation where you're going to go through a process similar to what you would at a doctor's office, where we get some background information, we get information on your symptoms. Um, we'll sometimes need you to submit a picture depending on, on what you're coming to get treated. And then from there, we have developed an algorithm that can kind of predetermine whether you are a good candidate for this modality of care. If you're not, it will refer you out to an in-person consultation. After that, it gets routed to the medical provider who makes that final determination of whether they should or should not prescribe a certain medication. All of this happens generally in under three hours. So from the moment where you go through a consultation um, through our chat to the moment it gets routed to a medical provider, to the moment that medical provider sends the prescription to the pharmacy, it tends to be three hours or less. That is unbelievable because it probably will take me three hours to get my doctor to return my call, let alone get anything done. And you know, one of the big things when you're sick 
and you don't know what it is, is the worry factor, right? You can drive yourself crazy worrying that it's something much more serious than it might actually be. So the sooner or the quicker you can get a professional's opinion not to worry, it's probably this, take this prescription or go do that. That is got that is that peace of mind is to me a huge seller of your of your service. Yeah. And that's going to be true also for when you do know what you have. So, I mean, this won't be the case for the two of you, but say you have a urinary tract infection and women get these all the time and you know what you have and you definitely do not want to wait one, two, three hours to even get an appointment to go to your doctors. So you can go through our flow and have that medication in the pharmacy within three hours. It's very, very convenient. So convenience is the second factor. Yeah, I know. I think to to your point, maybe like the whole second opinion uh, market, right? I think for the most part, yeah, someone says you have an issue and it's like, ah, I, I, you know, I, thank you, but I want a second opinion on that. Um, you know, going to a platform, perhaps thinking of the point of view um, uh, is, is perhaps uh, always helpful because, you know, usually um, the second opinion for me comes from like, a friend or, or family member. It's like, I, you know, the doctor told me this and it's like, no, nah, I don't know. I had the same thing when I was, you know, your age and it was all right. But, you know, not to say that that's credible <laughs> reference to be, to be clear, but at least having the ability to talk to someone else in addition to perhaps someone that you're, you know, you're dealing with um, your, your GP or what have you is, is also, also great. Yeah, and, and Cyrus Masumi, who's the founder of Dr. B, was also one of the founders of ZocDoc. So he was an early innovator oh, in the wow. space. Um, are, are your companies similar? Are you are you competitors in the same space? Do you operate the same way? Or are there certain advantages? Or is, it, is the next iteration, Dr. B, of, of his career a little bit better than the prior, like all of them always are, you know? There, there are two different things, right? So Sockdog actually got started when he was on a flight and his eardrum burst. And then after he landed, he needed to get care and he couldn't find a, a doctor who would see him uh, in the short term. He could only find appointments that were days to weeks away. So, so that came about as a solution to that, right? Which is like, how are you able to find care that's a little more immediate? Um, but, but at the time he was only able to solve this problem for patients who had insurance. So there was a big chunk of the population who were either uninsured or underinsured where, where sock dog was, was not really solving a problem for them when, uh, when Dr. B came about and Dr. B is a different model, right? So we, we do telehealth where sock dog is just kind of, um, handling the consultation process and matching people with doctors. Uh, but, but that actually very much informed our mission of, of being um, an affordable option to all. So both our price point and our Nalco's care are trying to solve that problem, which is that there's a big chunk of the population who is uninsured or underinsured. And by underinsured is people who have insurance, but, but they can't afford to use it. So it's more of, a, you know, you get hit by a bus. In that case, yes, you have this big kind of out of pocket max and, and your insurance covers you, but for, for day-to-day consultations, they're not really choosing to go to the doctor. Is there actually a Dr. B? Where does that name come from? Was there a Dr. B? Yes. So Dr. B, the name actually comes from Cyrus's grandfather, who was a doctor during the, during the Spanish flu pandemic, and he would see patients for free um, outside of his private practice. And his name, or I guess he used to go affectionately by Dr. Bubba. So that is Dr. B. Sounds Jewish. <laughs> ah, they're Persian. <laughs> <laughs> and and tell our listeners, how is it that you, you are the, you are definitely the innovator in this, the ability to provide healthcare for nothing? 
or for $15, which is the price of a, a Starbucks coffee uh, and, a, and a donut. How do you do that? How are you able to do that? So the, the way that we achieve our pricing is twofold. So on one hand is, again, we've developed this technology and this algorithm that is able to direct patients to in-person care whenever our modality of care is not the right one. What that means is that a medical provider will only get a patient once they're very good candidates for the treatment. They get to make that final determination. But for anyone else, they're getting routed to in-person care and we don't need to cover any costs of, of that medical um, provider on our end. So that's one of the ways in which we keep the cost down. The other way is that we're not involved in traditional marketing. So we rely, we rely a lot in word of mouth. And while we do do some marketing, um, most of what would be a marketing budget, you know, like big Super Bowl ads, big subway ads, um, television ads, all of that money we're putting towards our no cost care. So the way that we market is word of mouth and partnerships. A lot of, uh, of the work that I do is around yeah, that's that's fantastic. I mean, there's no better way than providing innovative solutions to uh, helping more people more of the time. You know, you talked about access, which is a big word, right? I mean, it has implications in many areas of our lives, but none can be more critical than healthcare. Uh, and I, I sort of when I think of access, I think of access into three different categories. One is access to um, to health care facility, right? So the location in your town, public transportation, for those without a car, you know, I know that in some urban areas like Detroit, Michigan, people who live far away from uh, from a medical facility um, and there's no public transportation have a hard time, particularly at a lower income bracket to get to get to see a doctor. Um, access to the internet, uh, you know, sort of in rural communities where at one point people didn't have the internet. Um, and in some cases, if they did, it was just too expensive. Um, and then lastly, access to smartphones. Um, so, you know, it's, it's only recently that smartphones have become ubiquitous. And yet even today, you know, we're seeing startups providing um, unique service plans for people with lower incomes to have a smartphone, but that limits their ability to access apps and, and functionality that may, that may provide better services and solutions. So, what are what are some of the areas and you mentioned your algorithm uh, in processing um, the speed in which people can get to get to care but what are some of the ways in which dr. B is revolutionizing um, accessibility um, to to healthcare in, in in the space I mean I think you you mentioned a few important things I mean one like physical access right like we are available nationwide. Um, which means that anyone can have access to one of our medical providers, regardless of whether they're in an urban space or in a rural space. Uh, so that's going to be a big one. But right. it doesn't matter where they are, right? They can be anywhere in the they country. They can be anywhere, anywhere in the, the world, yes, I guess. Yes, they can be. At, no, oh, no, in the country, in the country. <laughs> but they don't need to be uh, U.S. citizens or residents. It can be anyone in the world as long as they're within the U.S. Um so I think there's there's the physical access of it. And, and I know that we think a lot about rural areas and that they're very far away from medical providers sometimes. But you mentioned something that kind of ties into the work that I was doing before that is even within urban areas when they have uh, unreliable public transportation systems. So there may be areas that do have a bus that come to their door and that and that do have a train. Um, it usually happens more with a bus where the frequencies are not enough. So it's not that they can't get there, but if it's going to take someone two or three hours to get to a doctor, and then on top of that, they need to take time off work. And then like there are so many complications to 
to a person who's already at a disadvantaged position that they they tend to not seek care. And and all of these kind of adds up, right? Like when we think of inequity, it's it's kind of a big bubble. It kind of all comes together. So so that's one part of, of what we're trying to solve. Um, broadband access is a big problem, and I think that's being tackled more on a national level. Uh, where there are many coalitions and uh, and many groups that are trying to expand that. That goes a little bit beyond what we're doing. Um, but a big one, another thing that you mentioned is access to phones. So something that that we learned early on, which is very interesting, is that almost everybody nowadays has access to a smartphone. However, the best inequity uh, you see within this realm is that whereas people have access to a phone, they don't necessarily have access to storage space. So you can have a phone with very limited storage space. So you do see a lot of companies where you're required to download an app in order to use it. That becomes very difficult um, for someone of lower means who, who can't afford to pay for, you know, iCloud service or, or whatever a similar service may be. So what we do, for example, is that our entire um, website is, is web-based. So we don't require you to download an app. Like we essentially, like any barrier that is out there, we're trying to remove. So you can do everything like through your regular web-based, go through your consultation. Like we're just trying to limit the amount of things and the amount of steps that you need to take that would prohibit you from, from getting the care you need. You know, that's so, that's so interesting, right? Because there was a point in time where, um, for particularly for startups, I mean, you, you, you're far from a startup, um, but, for a lot of companies that were just getting started, having to create an app for the iPhone, create an app for Android, create an app for whatever that mobile, that Windows phone was, uh, it was it was pretty expensive. And so everyone was doing web and then there's web apps. Uh, and then very, very quickly after it became like, if you don't have an app, you're not you know, you're not in business, uh, and and everyone sort of walked away from from the web, um, but at the same time walked away from a large community and large audience, uh, potential customers who were in that lower income bracket. And I think now um, it's really interesting to see that there are solutions um, that that in a way go back to the web, but in the same time kind of a, has a hybrid model uh, can can both service two markets uh in a lot of ways so it's really it's really fascinating how how you've adapted um to be able to be more accessible to more people that's great i uh getting back to something you said alex about people go on google to solve their own healthcare issues and you have no idea it's just like a restaurant review right you don't know the quality of the reviewer so you don't know where this review is coming from uh, i perused your website uh, dr b marcia and uh not only do you have this access to to healthcare uh, to providers, but you also have a lot of information on your website, which I imagine is has been vetted and is and is is factual and accurate because you're a healthcare organization. I mean, there was things like LGBTQ plus health news. There was food science, mental health support, which we touched upon briefly. Um, in a, in an age where everybody's trying to figure out what's going on with themselves, you having access to a place that you know is verified and is and is and is real and is and is correct is very valuable. Can you tell us a little about that effort that you provided as well on that site? Yeah, so it, it's, it kind of stems from what you just said, which is there's a lot of information and then there's a lot of misinformation going around on the web. So we really are trying to not only be a provider, but be a reliable resource for people who are looking for information that, that may go beyond 
um, the treatments that we're able to offer right now. So, so we do have a series of resource articles. They range, you know, through all the different, um, categories that we have on our site and they go beyond. We also have a pretty cool newsletter that we do weekly. So if you wanted to check that out, that's on our site as well. You know, I'm a, I'm a kind of a sci-fi guy. Um, those of, those of, those of us that know me. Uh, so I, I've always wanted to know whether or not the telemedicine as an industry is going to become the next tricorder. You know the the thing in Star That's Trek. It's a Star Trek reference, guys. <laughs> it's a Star Trek. It's a Star Trek reference. Where you know you I'm a doctor, s- not a physician. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so you you could basically scan somebody, uh, and that and then that information, whatever, however it's picked up, gets into this device, and it can it could it pushes out the solution on on, on the people. So, I mean. You know, obviously, we're not quite there yet from a technology perspective, but like, what are some of the things that um, you see or perhaps you've been learning or, or discovering that is the potential future of telemedicine as we, as you know it, or as we can, as we can imagine it today? I mean, I think the the immediate next step right now is going to be leveraging AI. Um, I mean, when you think of telemedicine, it's like as humans, we're always trying to leverage the latest technology, right? So this uh, concept of telemedicine started with the telegraph when that was the only thing available during the Civil War. And, and it was used to send information on casualties and then try to coordinate transportation for patients. Or, or request supplies, and then you get the phone, and then you were able to maybe get a little bit of a consult happening, then you that expanded into kind of um, imaging, right, and being able to transmit image images digitally, then we had kind of the internet come around and, and there's the, the type of telemedicine we're working on right now. Next step, next immediate step, I think it's definitely going to be AI, um, mostly around symptoms, I think, you know, doctors nowadays, like they determine and they diagnose based on the information that they're able to absorb and study. Um, AI has, you know, inf- like they have the capacity to do a lot more information and, and really kind of narrow down from symptoms what uh, a patient's possible condition may be. Um, I think we need to kind of proceed with caution. There's still some kind of checks and balances we need. AI is not perfect. You go to ChatGPT and sometimes it just makes things up. So we can't completely and blindly. Sometimes. <laughs> we can't completely and blindly trust this technology. I think it still needs a little bit of time, but it, but that's definitely where I see the, the most immediate next step for it is going to be around, around symptoms and, and diagnosis. Well, you know, the funny thing you mentioned is your know, AI is not perfect, but people aren't either, right? So, I mean, there are correct. Yeah, you know, there there are good doctors and there are some not so good doctors who both have a degree, perhaps one from the community college and then one from from Harvard, right? And so, how do you and and the and the, the best doctor in in the world is arguably inaccessible to most people. Um, however, the some of the worst doctors. <laughs> the most accessible for various reasons. And so the um, 
if we're able to rep, I don't know, I'm just making this up, but if we're able to replicate um, the best doctor's diagnosis um, or the best, whatever the the best doctors know, the books that they read, if we give a if we give AI those books and have it study it, I mean, will we be better off um, if the AI can provide um, those recommendations to more people or not? I don't know. Um, but I wonder- as long as the AI wants us to get better and it's not the Terminator and they don't want us to get better, they're going to get the, oh yeah, just just consume the alcohol you'll be fine i mean i think <clears throat> but you hit the nail oh no go ahead <laughs> I, I think you hit the nail on the head Marisha, because when i was younger i was always told the key to a good doctor is diagnosis the good doctor is the one that can see what you have and to figure out your problem they all know what the solutions are whether you have whether what, what drug you need for what disease what treatment you need the key is to pinpointing what is the problem and hopefully ai will 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 improve that aspect of of medicine uh, in terms of the near term you mentioned there are about 30 different treatments that you provide is there anything that you guys are working on now that our listeners would like to know that is coming up as potential new treatments that you think will be you will be incorporating in the near future at dr b so we are always rolling out treatments um so we roll them out uh weekly monthly so yeah no there will continue to be more treatments that are rolled out care, um, sexual dermatology, that list continues to expand. Um, we're also going to be, uh, in terms of focusing on partnerships, we've, we've kind of have a few partnerships rolling out, mostly with diagnostics. Um, so you'll be seeing some of that as well. And anything that you would like to provide, but at, you were at a point where technology isn't there yet. Like there are certain things that you're ready, the doctors are ready, but just because of technology, we're limited in, in which treatments you can or cannot use. Does it have to be treatments that are easily prescribed? Are there legal issues like a doctor has to be in Florida to prescribe in Florida versus California? Are there any barriers that you're working through with governments or with technology to continue to grow your business? Yeah, so there's a few things that we work with in terms of regulations, um, they vary state by state. So actually, if you go to a Dr. B site and you're in Texas or, or New York, you're going to be seeing different iterations and different tweaks and things, even in the chat base. So we we have to modify um, based on the regulations per, per each state. And we do that. Um, I, you mentioned location. It's important to us that the medical provider, patient, and the pharmacy prescriptions are being are all within the same state. So we have medical providers that are licensed in all 50 states plus DC. So we're always able to match that patient provider and, and pharmacy. Um, we do offer our services nationwide, so it's not really an issue for patients coming to us, but that is something that we take into consideration. Those are kind of like the bigger legal things that we navigate. In terms of technology, I mean, I think there's you know, we can, we can come up with a myriad of ideas of things that we want to do. Uh, right now, we're just focusing, again, just access and, and access with the tools that we have right now. Like, how can we just expand that with, with what's available to us? You know, I feel like there are some prescriptions and some consultation that requires more rigor um, and regulation than others, right? Um, you know, when I see companies like Hims or Roman that are, uh, you know, these organizations and companies built to provide erectile dysfunction medicine to men, uh, I feel like, you know, all you can do is just go on the, on the, you know, on the website and talk and say a few things and then you get your prescription. Like, I feel like it isn't really, it isn't really that that rigorous in terms of the process for vetting, um, but then again, I also think that there's a um, there there on some conditions uh, or some situations, 
you know, men have are historically less inclined to want to go in to a doctor and talk about certain things and probably would much rather um, talk to a computer um, in the privacy of their own home um, about certain issues rather than walking into a facility. So um, there actually there's a massive opportunity for telemedicine across the board uh, that perhaps can challenge certain socio um, norms and stigmas around conditions for gender, for for men, and you know, and for for other, um, you know, for various ailments from among 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 both genders. So, as well as the LGBTQ plus community and so forth, regardless of what your pronouns are. So there's a lot of things, um, biases and social um, uh, stigmas that perhaps can be overcome with telemedicine, which I think you and your company and and the industry is helping to solve and make it a lot easier for us to get help when we need it. So kudos to you on that. Um, tell me, so for our listeners, I'd love um, to to help them, help you, help them. Uh, what are What is the easiest way for our, our listeners to get in touch with you and or to, to find out about your company and learn more about what you're doing? Just go on our site. So our site is hidrb.com and that is hrdrb.com. Um, you know, once there, they'll be able to see all of our treatments. They can find out more information about us. They can access our resource articles. There's a myriad of information out there that they can peruse. Marcia, this has been fantastic. I want to thank you for educating our listeners to this terrific healthcare service that Dr. B is, this whole space that you've created with equality and with accessibility and, and at a reasonable, if, if any price at all, for everybody. So I want to thank you again for coming on and we wish you all the success and hope you continue to grow your business because you're, 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 you're doing what, when everyone says do good, you guys are doing good. So congratulations and good luck. Yeah, congrats. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to The Real Estate Podcast. Give us a quick review and rating on iTunes. Check out our website at therealestate.co and let us know if there are any new topics you'd like to hear us address. We love hearing your feedback. See you next week.